Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. chapter 3, beginning verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. I've been trying to give some facts, just interesting facts about each of these uh, cities as much as we can find. And Laodicea, as the others, is still a place you can go visit today. The city of Laodicea itself is, is no longer, um, it is, it is, it is uh, out of business, if you would. It is no longer standing. There are ruins there where you can go see Roman ruins. There is a town nearby. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's in... Uh, uh, the Denizli province of Turkey, and there's a town nearby of about 2,000 uh, 2, people um, within five kilometers of this city uh, where Laodicea once was. And from that town, you can go and visit the ruins of Laodicea. So there is no current city of Laodicea other than the ruins that are left. And uh, it was, uh, it was um, I'll give you some facts about it. It's a town in the Roman province of Asia, situated in the valley of Meander on a small river called the Lycus, which you may have heard of, uh, along with Colossae and Hierapolis. And by the way, Laodicea is mentioned in the book of Colossians a couple of times, uh, and so these three cities were together. So with Colossae and Hierapolis a few miles distant to the west, uh, it was built, or rather rebuilt, by one of the Seleucid monarchs and named in honor of his wife, Laodicea. Uh, would, uh, uh, in honor of his wife, her name was not Laodicea, it was Laodicea, Laodice. And he named the city in honor of his wife, uh, Laodicea. Under the Roman government, uh, it became a place of some importance. It was, uh, uh, its trade was considerable. It lay on a trade route, and that's how it gained its great wealth. And uh, so anyway, uh, it, uh, there's a number of facts about it I think are interesting. Uh, my understanding is that the name Laodicea means justice of the people. And you ponder where we are in the time in which we live and what the focus is, and that is on the people's rights. We have our rights. And so as I understand, it meant or stood for justice of the people. And uh, I, I read about Laodicea and read about the condition, and I think it is like reading about the United States of America. Uh, this is why it is so easy to see the churches as representative of a period of time in which churches exist because of how this so lines up with the average church today. Now, if you were in a church that's experiencing revival in Asia, you would have a hard time relating to this. Those churches are churches in Asia tonight that are not Laodicean in their, in their, uh, in their character. But I think as a general rule, uh, probably most of the churches in the world today would fit this criteria. What has become popular and popularized is how to do church, how we do church in our time uh, is very Laodicean, if you would. And yet we need to be careful not to overgeneralize. Uh, we have a tendency as Americans to view the rest of the world through the condition of America. And so what it, the way it is in America is the way it is everywhere, right? 
and uh, not so. There are, again, there are places in the world tonight where the folks really know what it means to be a Christian. They are paying the price. Um, they are, they are, are carrying out church very differently than we do, not that the way we do altogether is wrong. I don't mean that, but there is a, there is a life to what they have because of what it costs them to be a Christian. And uh, many times if you said, where are the richest churches in the world, where would you say? Just immediately, if you said, where's the wealthiest churches in the world? Well, the USA. Because we gauge wealth by dollars instead of spiritual assets. And yet the poorest churches in the world spiritually are in this country and in, and in Europe. And that's a sad state, but it's true. Uh, we're poor in our prayer life. It's like pulling hen's teeth to get people who claim to be Christians just to have a prayer life. And just to spend 15 or 20 minutes a day in prayer when we ought to be spending hours with God every day. Uh, we, we should be spending time in our Bibles every day. It's like pulling hen's teeth to get people just to assemble for church. And that's true across the land. It's a... It's almost a mark of heroism now when someone actually attends all the assemblies of the church. And there was a time when that was just normal for normal Christianity. That's what, I mean, it's always been a problem. Lord had to command it. You understand what I'm saying, though. There are people in Asia and Africa that will walk an hour or two hours to be in church and spend hours there and walk home in rain and mud and muck simply to hear the Word of God preach, spend time in prayer, and give the Lord an opportunity to work in their hearts and so we are very Laodicean in this country. This church that we're going to read about is very applicable. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be very frank and transparent with you tonight. Probably in 2017 or 2018, I began to see the possibility and the great potential for this church to become extremely lukewarm. I began to pray, God, give us victory over this wicked sin of lukewarmness. Please, please, please spare us as Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church from being a complacent church. And I say, Pastor, are we there yet? I don't know that we're out of the woods yet. <laughs> Unless you can see it tonight and say, I know that I'm on fire for God. Then we're not out of the woods yet. And I don't know about you. I do not, in my depth of my heart, number one, I plead with God, don't let me become complacent. That's what lukewarmness is. It's mediocrity. It's complacency. So personally, I don't want to become a mediocre, complacent, lukewarm Christian and therefore a lukewarm pastor to you. And I do not have any desire to see this church become lukewarm and stay that way. And uh, we've got to figure out who we're going to let influence our lives, and are we going to let the Lord light us on fire, or are we going to stay comfortable? Uh, when you're cold, you're not comfortable. When you're hot, you're not comfortable. God doesn't want us comfortable spiritually. Amen? He just does not want us there. And so all that by preface, let's just let's give you a little bit of my heart before we get into the message tonight. We use the same outline as we, we've been using, uh, the characterization of Christ to the church, the comprehension of Christ of His church, the counsel of Christ to His church, and the consolation of Christ to His church. And so let's break this down tonight, and um, beginning in verse 14, with how the Lord Jesus characterizes Himself. And I do want you, if you would, not engage with me just a little bit here tonight. This is the seventh of these seven churches and the Lord's going to address this church, and it is described differently, just a minor difference, but I don't think we can overlook that minor difference because it's the only church of the seven that's described this way. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. If I paused right there, did you catch it? And what is it? Of the Laodiceans. Where is the emphasis here? Uh, the church and where it's at. So the church in Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, the church in Sardis, the church, meaning the location is mentioned here, the actual people are mentioned. It's not no other church. It wasn't the church of the Ephesians. It wasn't the church of the Sardans. It wasn't the church of the Smyrnans. No, it's the church in. But here, this church is addressed as under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. That's a possessive way of speaking. It's, it's the Laodiceans church. This is our church, I probably wouldn't point that out if it weren't for the last admonition of the Lord before he starts to part from them in his word when he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We'll say more about that when we get there, but this is his church, but he's not welcome inside. This church had welcomed others in, but it seems to me this was their church. It was our church. I'd say this. When a church body gets the idea that it's our church, we want church to be like we want church to be, 
We are, we're, we are either already are lukewarm or we're going to be. And I just don't, I don't believe we can bypass that because only this church is described in this way as being the church of the, and then a descriptive term of the people as the church of the Laodiceans. It gives me the idea too that the church had conformed to the community. This is not just a church in Laodicea. It is a Laodicean church, meaning it is characterized by the world that's around it. I'm going to tell you something. You walk in the average church today, and you can't tell if you've walked into a concert hall. You can't tell by the people. Now, look, I, I don't mind lost people coming in, looking, smelling, acting, behaving like lost people. That's what they do. Lost people have the smells of sin on their life. They have the appearance of sin on their life. I'm going to tell you what bugs the living daylights out of me, for lack of a better term. And that's probably light in, in its description. Something that grieves my soul. Maybe I should say it that way is seeing people that claim to be living sanctified lives in love for God, and you cannot tell the difference in their language, their attitude, their appearance, or their values that they're a Christian or they're a worldling. They're just like everything around them. I'm going to tell you something. If you have a love for God in your heart, it is going to show up in the way you live. And this so-called Christianity today that separates your conduct from your character is absolute rank folly. You cannot separate character from conduct. If your character has been changed, it will change your conduct. You and I cannot walk in darkness and claim to be in light. But here's a church that was characterized by where it was. It's not a church in Laodicea. It's a church of the Laodiceans. It is a Laodicean church. Wouldn't it be a sad thing if people would say, I can absolutely tell you're from an American church. And that's the way it is. We can tell what you are. You have to have padded pews. You can sit longer through a movie than you can through a sermon. You must be from an American church. You have more time for entertainment than you do for prayer. You must be from an American church. Uh, you yawn through preaching and stay attentive through secular worldly things. You must be an American Christian. You with me? What I'm preaching to you tonight is truth. We're in a carnal state in our churches in America, and we pat ourselves on our back for doing simple things that every Christian ought to do. The question tonight should be for us, am I hot or am I cold? Well, if you were cold, you wouldn't be here. Amen? There are cold Christians tonight, cold believers. They're not in church, and they're not going to be on Sunday either. They're not even concerned about the things of God. Their love for Christ has waxed cold. Their love for others has waxed cold. But then there are hot Christians tonight. They're taking time to find ways to obey the Lord actively and proactively in their life. Obedience to Christ is the driving flame of their existence. And then there's everyone else that's in between. And so as we begin this night, let's look at how the Lord characterized himself in this church, verse 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen. What does amen mean? By the way, it's a Bible word. It's a good word, good word to use. Amen. And some say, no, Pastor, it's amen. I say both. You can call me a compromiser. When I'm in Mexico, I say amen. And when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? They say amen, so I join them. Uh, you say, you are a compromiser. No, it's not on that one. That's okay. Amen, amen, doesn't matter. This is what we call a transliteration of a word. The Greek word is amen <laughs> or Amen. All right, it's the same, and we just have it here in our English language, amen. And the word amen, it carries the idea, it's the exact same word. When you hear the Lord Jesus say, verily, verily, I say unto thee, it's the exact same Greek word. I mean, truly, this is an absolute verifiable truth, truly verified truth. Something that is, that is um, here's the, the Strong's definition, it is firm or trustworthy, it is sure, uh, or surely, or verily, okay? So surely, meaning that I am the absolute sure word. What I speak is sure. It, you can go to the bank on his word. He calls himself, it's a, one of the many names of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the amen. Uh, and by the way, uh, while we don't encourage emotionalism, it is okay when you hear something preached and you say, surely that is true to say, amen. It's all right. It's okay to do that. Uh, we should never speak up in church to get attention for ourselves. Ladies, we understand God's instruction about 
being uh, loud or speaking up in church. But the fact of the matter is to, to, to use the word amen is a Bible thing. There's an entire message I've heard my dad preach on the words, great message used throughout the Bible. We should know that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the amen. He's emphasizing something about himself here. He's getting ready to tell the church something about them that they don't think is true. One of the most difficult things I see and it just takes the Lord to work in a heart to, to have this accomplished. But one of the most difficult things you have to accomplish is seeing someone with a character fault, and it's your responsibility as a parent, a teacher, a pastor, whatever it may be. It's your job to help them see that and come to repentance over it. One of the most difficult things is when the person's view of themselves is opposite of reality. So when a person feels, I think I'm a pretty humble person, and you're like, <laughs> to get them to accept, actually not. They're still very proud. The best thing to do is walk up and say, no, you're not. You're just proud. That works real well, right? But you know, the Lord has a hard time with us. He sees us exactly as we are, and he has to try to get us to come along to see ourselves the way he sees us. When we're willing to accept the way he sees us, there's a Bible word for that. It's called repentance. When I'm willing to accept his assessment of me, one of the most dangerous things I've seen in my time, and I'll just say this from the standpoint as a, as a preacher, is one of the most cunning and clever tricks the flesh plays is the preacher preaches something and it hits right home where you live and it reveals a problem and you say, well, I can tell what the preacher thinks of me. And we blame the preacher for what God says. You see, if the preacher thinks it, you can dismiss my opinion all day, and we both know that. But the problem is we do the same thing with preachers that we do with the Bible. And I'm not saying preachers are infallible like the Bible. Don't misunderstand me. We're not. But you'll know. If I say something that's faulty, you'll know. The Spirit of God will say, no, he's not, he doesn't understand. That's not correct. But the fact of the matter is many times we'll say, well, the preacher thinks I am in sin. Uh, my parent thinks that I am sinning, but I know better. That's not true. They think I'm this, this, or this. And we often, God is trying to use preaching to speak to us and show us this is a need in your life, but we've already decided that can't be true, and we don't accept his view. So the Lord wants to establish when I'm speaking to you, I'm going to say some things to you, and I want to say ahead of time that if I say it, it's sure. It's verily. There's no, there is no error in my speech. I mean, I want to tell you something. You know why, you know why the Bible, Satan has attacked your Bible so much to try to throw your confidence? So that you can't say verily, verily. Well, verily, verily, if it weren't a translation, but, you know, men involved. So, you know, this Bible makes me look bad, but it's probably because it was translated in the 17th century, and that's the way they thought back then. I sure wish there was a God who could give us a Bible. Well, there is. Aren't you glad? I am too. And so the fact of the matter is, is when the Lord's about to say some things to Laodiceans, it's not going to be very palatable to them. It's one thing for someone to tell you you've got a problem when you already know you've got a problem. How many of you, you already know your own weaknesses to some degree, and some loving person decides to point that out to you on a regular basis? Bless your heart. Thank you for reminding me of what I already know. I don't like me, so I don't blame you if you don't like me. But what if you think you're very good in an area? What if you think you really got something down pat and somebody comes to you and begins to tell you, not like you think. So it's one thing when you know you got a problem, but when you think you don't and you've got it all settled, well, that's a hard pill to swallow. You're gonna have to know it's coming from someone who never misses the mark on his judgment. He's the amen. If the Lord Jesus says you're blind, you're blind. If he says you're naked, you are. If he says you're wretched and miserable, it's so. If he says so, it is so. By the way, it's a good day. It's a good day in your life when you can finally come to the conclusion about yourself that he gives you. It's a good day when you finally die to propping up your own reputation. And then it needs to happen every day after that. <laughs> Once and again, again and again. So what the Lord Jesus is going to do, he's going to speak to them, but he says, I am the amen. So that deals with his accuracy, okay? I am the amen. That deals with his accuracy. Then he says, I am the faithful and true witness. So he introduced himself, I am the amen. In verse 14, these things saith the amen, 
the faithful and true witness. He's the amen because he's faithful and true. These all build on each other. I'm the faithful and true witness. I won't lie to you. I won't say something about you that's not so. I'm not going to say something to you that's not so. If I render a testimony, it's true. All right, so the first one deals with his accuracy. Being the faithful and true witness deals with his authenticity. You don't have to worry about him saying something about you in order to make himself look better. You can't make him look better. He's already as good as he gets, so he's the faithful and true witness. Then he says this, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, those who deny God and have the spirit of Antichrist love to run to this and say he was the first thing God created. That is not what it says. Everything that is created, he is the beginner of it. He is the author. That's what it means. He's the beginning. So he authored light. He authored uh, water. And he authored the sun, moon, and star. He is the beginning of the creation of God. There's nothing that exists that wasn't created or started by Jesus Christ. He's the beginning and the end. Amen? So he's the beginning of the creation of God. He was the first thing God created. What a bunch of nonsense and antichrist teaching, by the way. He's, Jesus Christ is not created. He is the creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's what it means when it says He's the beginning of the creation of God. You know why He's the faithful and true witness? Because He is the one who created the world. He knows everything. How many of you have ever given the assessment of someone's character because you thought it was true? You met somebody, you thought you knew them. Somebody says, what do you know about so-and-so? Oh, they're a great person. As far as I know, they have good character, they're honest, they're this. Only for them to prove you wrong in time to come. You know what? You, you and I, we can try to be faithful and true, but there are times we are lacking in judgment because we're mere humans. Amen? I've done it. I don't like doing it. I wish I was hit a home run every time I make a judgment on someone's character. I do not. But he does. You know why? Because he's the creator. He knows all things. He doesn't miss the mark on anybody's character. That's why you need to answer this question. When you're beginning to get a message that seems to be reproving of you, you need to ask this question. What is the source of that message? Is this reproof coming as an accusation of Satan against me to discourage me, to, to confuse me, or is this coming as a reproof right out of the very Word of God? By the way, if it's a reproof from God, it will be verifiably true. His Word, He is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here's what, I, here's what amazes me as I read this text. The Laodicean church, in my estimation, is the worst among them. The only one that mirrors it is, is Sardis, and it's a pretty rotten church, Sardis. Both of them get a strong rebuke. But the Laodicean is the only one Jesus said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spew you out. He didn't say that to any of the rest, but he said it to this one. It tells you how distasteful this church was to him. And while he says some very plain and sharp words to them, you can hear the gentleness of our Savior in this entire rebuke. I mean, really, if you listen, you'll hear his gentleness. He's not, angry. He's not angry like we would be angry. He's very displeased with them. And he's letting them know in no uncertain terms, I'm going to tell you some things, and what I say is true. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. I am the beginning of the creation of God. You know what? When we test a message, the number one thing we need to test is, is this message true? Not how does it make me feel. We Americans need to be reminded of this, and I'm not preaching against America tonight, but we're like the Corinthians, we're like the Laodiceans, we are, we are economically successful. We have more than you can think of uh, having when it comes to earthly goods. And it gives us a false perception of, our, of who we are and what our character is. And many times, especially in this world and the age in which we're living, we are gauging what, whether I will receive a message based upon <laughs> excuse me, how that message makes me feel. If it doesn't resonate with who I identify as, it's probably not something I want to listen to. That's why so many people don't listen to God's Word. You see, the Bible says the number one characteristic that must be in your heart and mine for us to receive the Word of God is honesty. The Word of God is received and bears fruit in a good and what kind of heart? Honest heart. I asked a couple of gentlemen in the jail on Sunday afternoon, I said, what is the greatest and who is the greatest deceiver in your life? These guys are sharp tacks. 
The first one didn't take him long. He's 21, 22 years old. He said, me. I said, you nailed it. You are absolutely right. You. You and I are the greatest deceivers we know. The Bible says your heart. I'm talking about your natural fleshly reasoning. I'm not talking about the spirit of God within you and the new man in you. I'm talking about your old man. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Do you realize the Bible says your heart is more deceitful than the devil? I understand he's the father of all lies. I got that. But the Bible did say in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why it's only a foolish person who trusts the, 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 the communications of their own heart. Well, I feel like I'm, that doesn't matter. What you feel like and what I feel like has nothing to do with what is true. The Word of God is what is true. And when this book starts revealing I'm something different than I thought I was, I need to get my feelings in line with that book, not line up the book with my feelings. Amen. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15 it begins with the comprehension of Christ. He's going to explain what he knows about them. I know thy works. I know what you do. I know your conduct, if you would. That's how we'll put it in here for our outline's sake. He comprehended their conduct. I know thy works. I know how you're living. I know what you're doing. I know all about you. Okay? I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. I ask you this. I want you to think about the most spiritually discerning person you know in your life, whoever that may be. It may be somebody in another part of the world. It may be somebody that's in your family. Whoever is the most spiritually discerning person, the most spiritual individual, somebody that loves God, you think of the hottest Christian you know, the most on-fire Christian you know, someone that's just fervent for God, fervent about the Lord, fervent about spending time with God, fervent about obeying God. Would they... Think of you as a hot or a cold Christian. If, if we had to ask them tonight, is that person fervent for the Lord? Now, I understand no person is the judge, but if someone's close to the Lord, they're going to have more of his mind than you and I would. You think about, would they describe you as someone that is just on fire? I'm telling you, we do this little test. Would you consider yourself cold, meaning I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done, I'm done trying to read my Bible. I don't care. I know the Lord's not pleased with that. I really don't care anymore. I used to care. I've tried. I'm frustrated. Every time I try to do it's right, things go wrong. I really just don't care. I, I don't. I, I haven't read my Bible in 30 days, and I'm going to read it tomorrow. Say, oh, well, at least you know where they are. I meet people like that. I meet people like that. It's like, look, I don't care about God. You know what? I am more refreshed by that than the person that stands there and says, oh, yes, I'm saved, I love the Lord, and I love my booze, and I love missing church to go do what I want, but oh, how I love Jesus. No, you don't! <laughs> you with me? If you love me, keep my commandments. Christ may be your Savior, you may belong to Him, but let's not fool ourselves into thinking we love God when we're not serious about obeying. The judgment and the test of our Heart for Christ tonight is our heart for doing what he wants. He says a few things here. He says, I know your conduct, but I also know your complacency. You're not on fire for me, but you've not quit on me either. You're not, you're not saying I don't care in the sense of I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to tell you what, the average child of God, the average child of God hasn't quit church, but they wouldn't dream about, and I'm preaching the choir tonight, they wouldn't dream of saying, if the doors are open, I'm there. I know if people is their conviction, they won't, they won't do that. Like, I will not. I will not be in church every time the doors are open. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to run them down the road. I'm just telling you, that's become normal among professing Christians. You say, well, are we going to judge everything by how much you're in church? No. There are people who don't know God will go to church every time the doors are open for some other vain reason. But I'm just thinking, if you're saved... You ought to love the Lord and you ought to love his people. You ought to love the songs about him. I would think you would love the preaching of his word and the teaching of his word. I know pastors. I know pastors. They sit and listen to preaching all week long. 
That's all. They said, well, they're trying to better themselves professionally. No, they love God's word. <laughs> they want to hear God's word preached. You know what? If, if I say, well, let's get, let's get our dose of preaching in. Friend, there's something wrong there. So the Lord says, I know these things. I know your works. And based on your works, I know you're neither hot nor cold. There's something. Have you quit praying? But are you fervent in prayer? The Bible says, James chapter 5, the effectual, verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Say, so why do you keep using the word fervent? You know what the word fervent means? Hot. You have a zeal. The Lord Jesus died for us. He might redeem himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Let me just ask you that. What are you zealous over? And I'm just asking you questions so you can think about it. What gets your fervor stirred up? Oh! When it comes to earthly things, hey, it's fall, it's hunting season, I get stirred up. But it's a bad day if I'm more stirred up in my own conscience, if I'm more stirred up over hunting an animal than I am preaching God's word or witnessing to a sinner. That's a bad day. I enjoy hunting, but I'm in a bad way if I've got more zeal about going out and harvesting an animal. And I enjoy it. I enjoy putting meat in my freezer, and I think it's a gift from God. I do. I, bless, I praise the Lord for that. But it's a bad day when that's got more priority in my life than spending time with the Lord in prayer and His Word. And that's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. You with me tonight? Where's my zeal tonight? The Lord says, I know this about you. You're neither hot nor cold. You're not, on, you're not fervent for me, but you haven't fainted either. You're just kind of there. You're just going through the motions. You're just mediocre. I've heard preachers going all the way back to the 1950s. You know what they've been preaching in the churches of America? Good preachers, 1950s. A.W. Tozer, Vance Havner, men I enjoy pre hearing preach. Men who were loved and hated in their day, both. <laughs> loved and hated. You loved them or hated them. You know what they were preaching on the 1950s and 1960s? complacency in our churches. Complacency. Complacency about spiritual things. We'll get fired up over money. We'll get fired up over hobbies. We'll get fired up over our jobs. And by the way, it's natural to be that way. But it's spiritual to be fired up about things of God. I'd love to see some young people in this church on their own say, you know what, we're going to get together and pray because we can. Not because pastor scheduled a prayer meeting. What would, what would stop the young people of this church saying, you know what, we got 15 minutes before service, let's go pray? The only thing I know would stop it is complacency. You say, are you mad at us? No, no, no. I'm saying, think outside the box. You know what we'll have to say? Can I do that? And it's something that our conscience says, maybe I shouldn't. Why don't we say, could I pray another 15 minutes a day? Do we think that way? We think this way. Oh, do I have to give that person the gospel tract? Can I? I wonder, if, I wonder if I could get out five or ten every day. Listen, I need this tonight. I wonder, you know, okay, how much prayer do I have to have a day to not fall apart spiritually? That's how much I'll do. If ten minutes of prayer will keep me out of trouble, I'll pray ten minutes. But not 30 seconds more than that. Lukewarmness. When the Lord gets a hold of your heart, you're looking for opportunities to obey Him. And I'm not saying you won't wrestle with your flesh. You will. So I'm not saying there's not going to be a battle. There will be. But you and I can and should be fervent Christians, not waiting for someone to push us into the will of God, but running into the will of God. The Bible, Paul told Timothy, follow after righteousness and charity and peace and godliness and holiness. Follow after me. Pursue it hard. Look for it in your Bible. Read it. Pursue God with a passion. I want to know more about him. Lord, if there's something, how many of you know when you're walking with God, there's a constant sense, I am not what I'm supposed to be. That's just the way it is. See, when will we get past that? When you get to heaven. I'm not, we've not gotten there yet. And so there's something that ought to be stirring us to say, okay, what is it I need now? What's going to keep me from getting cold and indifferent on God? Let me tell you something. There is enough potential sitting in this room tonight for God to do mighty things. 
if you will get on fire for the Lord, quit dragging your feet, pull off the yoke and say, I'm going to do what I know God wants me to do without anybody making me do it. I'll do it because I love him and because he loves me. Amen? No one ought to have to prod us and pry us and pressure us and coddle us into obeying our Savior. That is a characteristic of lukewarmness. When someone has to constantly say, come on now, come on now, come on. That's what, I understand, baby Christians need that. Baby Christians need fed with bottled milk and brought along and tenderly cared for. But a person that knows you're born again and knows what Christ has done for you ought to be on fire for him. He's coming again. Amen. Amen. Is it a sin then to not be hot or cold? It is. Is it a sin to be lukewarm as a Christian? It is. How do we know? Because he says this. He says, I know your conduct. I know your complacency. I'm going to use this word. I know your condition. By that I mean he knew they were outside of his will. What does it mean to be outside of the will of God? We almost always think of this this way. The will of God is what does he want me to do? Like, does he want me doing this? And he want me doing that? that is the will of God. Don't misunderstand. But is it the will of God also what he wants us to be? Is there a difference in what we be and what we do? <laughs> Pardon the bad grammar. Yeah. Here he says, I know that you're neither hot nor cold. Uh, and he says, but I, I would, meaning what I want, is that you were either cold or hot. Meaning, you're not what I want you to be. You're not lukewarm. If my, what I would rather is be one or the other. Don't be mediocre. Don't walk the line. We use this term, don't straddle the fence. I'm going to tell you why people get lukewarm. And this is what happens all the time. You grow enough as a Christian, God saves you. You had to submit to God for God to save you. God had to show you there's only one way for your soul to be saved, and that's through faith in my son. When you got saved, you had to submit to the gospel and obey it. You had to obey by saying, okay, Lord, I accept your way of salvation is the only way. But after God saves you, you know what else is going to happen? He's going to work to sanctify you. I'm going to speak very candidly to you tonight. Some of you, God's trying to sanctify your life, and you are afraid of what the world's going to do to you if you let God have his will and way in your life. God's trying to get you to live your life only and exclusively for him, and there's still some concern about them and what they think. And what happens is, I don't want the world to think I'm a weirdo, so I'll act this way over here, and I'm not going to go whole hog for the Lord here. Or somebody might think I'm some kind of a fanatic or a lunatic or one of those weird kind of Christians. So i got to modify my behavior and tone it down when I'm out among people that don't appreciate the things of God. I wouldn't want them to think I'm weird. Now look, we don't set out our day to be weird. Some people think they're great because they're just stranger than the next person. That's not what we're talking about. Peculiar means you are uniquely characterized by your relationship with God and his influence on your life. Amen? If we would start our day saying, what would please the Lord here? And what would please the Lord here? And once I've answered that question, no other questions need to be answered. I don't need to answer, can I do what I want and what he wants? What he wants is all that matters. He died for me. When somebody else has died for me to save my soul from hell, they can tell me how to live my life. Until then, Christ is going to do that. You with me tonight? And so then what happens is we try to appease a world that's at enmity with God and please the Savior who died for us at the same time. And you know what the result is? Lukewarmness. Carnality. Saved people living through natural reasoning based on physical objectives, earthly objectives. What the Lord would have us do tonight is get our focus on eternal things. Live for eternal things. Live for what matters to Him. Live for His approval at the judgment seat. I'm going to tell you something. It is a liberating thing. You hear me tonight? Some of you are, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody. I'm trying to express the discernment the Lord gives. Some are struggling in your soul, feeling bound uh, in, 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 in between two straits because you've not yet made up your mind. I'm just going to live for Christ. And once I know something's not pleasing to him, I'm done with it. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to wonder about it. Once it's clear to me, the only question that needs answered in my life is what is the will of my Savior? That's what a burning heart for the Lord says. 
I want to know what pleases him. What I want and what pleases me and what my appetites like, love and like have nothing to do with the decisions I'll make in this life. We've crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Those are crucified with whom? Him. And so then he says, I know you're conditioned tonight. Uh, he said, I know that works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou weren't cold or hot. This church as a church body was outside of the will of their Savior. They were not what he wanted them to be. Amen? They, did, they just weren't. And so that's the comprehension of Christ. Number three, the counsel of Christ, verse 16. Verse 16. He says, so then, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is some of the strongest language in your Bible. And verse 17, because thou sayest. So here's your testimony. Here's your testimony. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thy salve, that thou mayest see. He begins with his warning, verse 16. He says, because, uh, he says, so then, because thou art lukewarm, because of your spiritual condition, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And that word spew uh, means to vomit. And the Lord says, you are so distasteful to me. I'm going to go. Now, if you've ever drank a cup of lukewarm coffee, you know exactly what this is talking about. <laughs> you go, oh, I like hot coffee. I like fresh coffee. I like iced cold coffee if it's fresh. Right? I either want it, serious, you know this is true. With coffee, I either want it piping hot or I want it ice cold. But you give me stale, lukewarm coffee. Ugh, I'd rather put gunpowder in my mouth. Ugh, disgusting. Just, and he says, you, get, the, get all this. Your character as a church is disgusting to me. I want nothing to do with it. Listen, Christian, you and I should have the same attitude. I will not tolerate in my life what he won't tolerate in my life. And when the Spirit of God shows me I've gotten lukewarm, I'm going to open the door when he knocks and let him do what he will. I'm not, you know how we ought to feel about lukewarmness? I'm going to tell you something. I'd, I'd rather sit under a tree with two Christians on fire for God in the middle of Africa than go to a contemporary church. I'm just telling you. I have no, I have no use. I have, I, 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 the new model of what they call church is disgusting when it looks like a bar, sounds like a nightclub, we've darkened everything down. Oh, here goes that legalistic view. You call it whatever you want. Let the critics call it whatever they want. This matter of pretending we're doing church, that we're worshiping God when what we're doing is tweaking our fleshly appetites, is wicked and distasteful and disgusting. I'd rather see a church dead with people sitting in the pews staring blankly into the sky than to see this hodgepodge of carnal, wicked, immoral. Look, there's things people are doing on a platform they call church, and it's immoral. Dancing, and it's nothing different than the golden calf and the wicked things that were going on there. You know what? None of that. I don't believe the Lord's within 100 miles of that business. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. If we don't get on fire, we end up right in the middle of that. And you know what most people feel in those churches? I feel very comfortable here. Very comfortable here. Of course you do. You're getting your fleshly appetite tweaked and you can justify it because somebody read a Bible verse and you say it's spiritual. Well, pretty strong language. Not as strong as his. I'll spew you out of my mouth. I want nothing to do with your mediocre, half-hearted Christianity. Amen? You know, what, you know what lukewarmness is? It's hot and cold. A little bit of hot, a little bit of cold. I'm hot in this part of my Christian life, and I'm cold in this part. I attend church every time the doors are open, but I, I, I don't go out and fervently give the gospel. I'm hot and cold. Lukewarm. 
It's a little bit of both. James calls it this, chapter 1, verse 8. Double-minded. You're hot here and you're cold here. Hot in, 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 in this aspect of your Christian life and cold as a brick uh, of ice in this part of your Christian life. You put the two together and it's just disgusting lukewarmness. The Lord's saying all or none. Get in or get out. All or none. I want none of this half-heartedness. Amen? And so tonight, he says, because of this, I'm warning him, we'll spew you out of my mouth, verse 16, verse 17. Then he begins to uh, give them some illumination as the amen, the faithful and true witness. He says, because thou sayest, he's going to address their testimony of themselves first. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art uh, wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Would the Lord ever say that about one of his own churches? By the way, he still calls it his church. He's still communicating with his church. Don't think this is an apostate church. I mean, it's an apostate church. No, this is still his church. He's writing to them. They're his. And here's what he, this is why so many people can't hear him today. Would, would Jesus Christ today, through the preaching of his word, ever call you wretched? would if you are if you're not he wouldn't would he say you're miserable well, that describes a lot of people I know claim to be Christians if the reflection of their face is a reflection of their soul they're miserable just saying yeah miserable poor blind how could this church think that they were rich increased with goods and in need of nothing how, how could they think that what were they measuring it by Tangible things, carnal goods. They didn't need a building. They didn't need a bank account. Their bank, you know what? You ask a young person, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. Prayer life good? Eh, not so. Uh, right with God? I don't know. I hope so. Uh, how's your relationship with your parents? Eh. How you doing? I'm doing good. How could you say that? Got a good job? Plenty of money in the bank? Nice car? Prospective husband or wife? Things that couldn't be better. They say, boy, that church is really succeeding. Prayer letters written. Boy, God is really blessing. And God does bless with material goods. Don't misunderstand. But our material standing is not a measure of how we're doing. Gain is not godliness. You know what this church believed? Gain is godliness. We don't have need of anything. We have more than we could wish. Bank accounts are fat and full and growing. We have every, a meeting place. We all, we all are, you know, our church is very happy and content. We all have good jobs. Uh, people here, we don't really have that many poor people to care for. Everybody's pretty much taken care of them. If we don't take care of them, the government takes care of them. I mean, my goodness, could we be doing any better? Well, do you need anything? Not really. Not really. When was the last time you had an answered prayer? I wish you hadn't asked that because I, I haven't prayed in a couple of days. Uh, when was the last time God used a Bible verse to personally speak to you and prod you and move you spiritually? <laughs> I don't know, but we're doing good. We're good. You with me tonight? When was the last time you know that you got some treasure laid out in heaven? And what the Lord's saying is, let's start with your testimony of yourself, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not, he's dealing with their ignorance, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, your testimony about yourself is false. You're not rich, increased with goods and need of nothing. You're, you're poor and miserable and blind and wretched and naked. That's, that's where you are. Spiritually, he's looking at them and saying, you have very, you, you, you know what? Let's measure faith. How much faith do you have? You're poor on faith. Your, your faith account is next to nothing. You have, you're, not, you're not accessing my grace by faith. Your joy, what is your level of joy? Uh, peace? Uh, you see, you're low. Souls? They were poor. Wretched. 
They were like beggars on the side of the street. They were wretches. Eh, and he's not calling them names. He's describing their state. And so tonight, if the Lord said us, if he were to measure our faith account, if he were to measure our boldness account, if he were to measure tonight the level of joy we have, would he say we're wealthy? If he used to measure our wisdom tonight, how wealthy are we? If he were to measure our faithfulness to him and to his word tonight, like he did the Philadelphians, he said, you have not denied my name. He told another church, you're, you're, you're poor, but you're rich. The Bible talks about being rich in faith and men that were filled with wisdom and full of the Holy Ghost. I wonder how much of the, the measure of the Holy Spirit we have in our life. I understand he'll indwell you until he calls you home, but how full are we of the Spirit of God? He says, you're poor. From a spiritual bank account, these folks were in poverty. They were poor in righteousness and holiness and godliness and faith and temperance and meekness and joy. The fruit of the Spirit was lacking in their lives and God measures spiritual things he measures our, our, our character by spiritual things, not by carnal. And so then tonight, he says, here's what you think, but here's what's true. And he's going to give them some instruction. He says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, meaning true gold, all right, that thou mayest be rich. Do you think he's really talking about physical gold? And go to Psalm 19 very quickly, very quickly, because I need to wrap this up. I don't think I can cut this one off in the middle. Psalm 19. The Bible's describing the word of God and describing it in different terms. It says this in verse 9. Let's back up just a little bit. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. If you look at Isaiah on our way back to Revelation chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Bible says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. So how are these people going to buy anything if they don't have any money? He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Verse 2, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight in itself in fatness. He tells the lady to see in church, buy of me gold tried in the fire. If you're poor, how do you buy gold? <laughs> Remember what the medium of exchange is in the kingdom of God? How do we get things from God? By faith. Lord, I trust you. I acknowledge I'm poor. I want your gold. You buy it with faith. Everything you purchase from God, you don't buy with performance. You don't buy with good works. You buy with trust in his word. Amen? So he says, I, I counsel thee to buy. And by the way, if you can get the word of God, you've got, you've got more faith. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen? And now you've got more money to spend on things that he offers you. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Let me ask you a question tonight. And I know we're a little long tonight, but please bear with me. What are you... What, what in your life threatens to cut God's word out of your life? What are you willing to trade what God says for? My emotions, my reasoning, the philosophies of men. I've watched this all my life. We get bored with the Bible, we get bored with the word of God, and we trade it in for something else. We trade it in for some uh, business advice. We trade it in for philosophy. We trade it in for uh, the counsel of the world. <laughs> Look, young people, you listen to me tonight. You're at a point, you gotta, be, you gotta guard your influences. The Bible says not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't let the ungodly take the voice of God from your life. You make time for God's word and listen to what he has to say. The Bible says we are to dig for wisdom like you dig for silver and for gold. Not treat your Bible like it's the, an old newspaper from six weeks ago. It's the very word of God. I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire. There's nothing tested and tried like this book. 
Nothing of greater value. Okay? And then he goes on to say, uh, and white raiment. What is white raiment speaking of? Purity. Holy living. Righteous conduct. Put on, you know, the white raiment, the white robes in Revelation are the righteousness of the saints. You know what that tells you about the Laodiceans? They were not putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> they were just walking around. You know what you are when you're born? Nope, I'm not trying to be crude tonight. You are naked. They were walking around with natural behavior. So you gotta, uh, relax with God. Just be who you are. Don't. Be who Christ is. Don't be you. That's nasty. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When we walk in natural reasoning, it's like walking around without anything on. Isn't that what the Lord said? You're walking around in your natural state. Get some clothes from me. By the way, in the Bible, being without clothing is always shameful. I don't care what this wicked culture says about it being okay to go around without your clothing on. They're Christians say, well, I always wear enough clothes unless I'm, at, I'm at swimming. So it's okay to be naked and shameful when you're swimming? I'm getting off course a little bit. It is an indicator of our spiritual state. What we do physically is an indicator of where we are spiritually. Can we all agree with that? So the Lord says, and I understand he's not talking about physical clothing here. He's talking about spiritual clothing. But you know what? Clothing is something that man can see. Yes? You know what? You know why? Do you know why I wear clothes? It's not for God. He knows all about me. I do that for the sake of other human beings. And you should be thankful. <laughs> Amen. That's all we'll say on that tonight. The Lord Jesus says, let me give you something to put on for men to see that you belong to me. White raiment, pure, godly, holy living for Christ's sake that comes from his word, okay? So the white raiment, he says, that thy, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. You don't want people to know what you are naturally. You need robed in Christ's righteousness before God and before men, amen? And so then uh, he says, clothed, thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. This I salve, I cannot help but believe, it speaks of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in 1 John, we have an unction. You know what an unction is? An anointing with oil. It's an anointing. You know what I salve is? You have to be anointed. Yeah, thou anointest mine head with oil. What the Lord says is you have a blindness. You can't. I asked my children this the other day, is it possible for saved people to become spiritually blind? Ponder that question for a minute. Is it possible for born-again people to be spiritually blind? Meaning to not see things as they really are. The answer is yes. If we're not acting on the instruction of 2 Peter chapter 1, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience. The Bible says that these things be in you and abound, and make you that you need, need to be barren or unfruitful. But he that does not do these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and forgetteth that he was purged from his old sins. He can't see spiritually. There are Christians all over this country that are truly children of God, but they have no spiritual vision. They have no perception of their own spiritual state. They have no perception of the spiritual state of our land. That's why they're not burdened about it. So they're not brokenhearted about it. That's, there's no spiritual perception of that man over there that's dying and going to hell. Spiritually blind. The Lord says, get some eye salve for me. Let me give you your vision back so you can see things as they are. Amen. Talking to a man today, we're talking about the Word of God, and he says, hmm. he says I'm, I'm beginning to see some things about myself, and I don't know that I want to see them. That was under the Word of God he said that. I don't know that I want to see them. And he wasn't being sincere. He said, keep talking to me. He said, but I'm beginning to see some things, and I... He literally, he held up his hand, and his hand was doing like this right here. He said, look at me. Shake it. Because God was giving that man some light. Sometimes we feel the same way. I don't know that I want God to give me vision. I'm comfortable. Ignorance is bliss. What I don't know, don't hurt me. Uh, that's not what the Lord Jesus said. Get some eyes out for me so you can see things the way they are. Finally, the consolation of Christ is found in verses 19 through 22. I'm going to save this for two weeks from tonight. I, said, I couldn't cut off in the middle, but this is a good, it's a good stopping point. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. There's an entire message on the love of God being expressed through his chastisement in our life. I'm talking about throughout the entire Bible. We find it in Proverbs. We find it in Hebrews. We find it here. When you find a theme repeated in the Bible, it's because it needs repeated for our sakes. Now tonight, I'm not the Spirit of God. We all know that. But this is his word. And I cannot help but believe that the Lord is challenging us to say, are you going to be, is Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church okay with being lukewarm? Because any church that doesn't be, become fervent naturally becomes lukewarm. What's the number one reason that we would want to be lukewarm? Comfort. It's just comfortable. I get up in the mornings right now, the house has a little bit of a chill on it. But you know what? It sure helps me get awake. I know once my feet hit the floor, I'm going to wake up. But it doesn't take me long to go in my little office there and I got one of those fireplaces that blows hot air out and go click, click. I don't like this. And then when it gets to a certain place, I go back over and go click and turn the heat off. It's just right. I don't want a church that's preaching something other than the Bible, but I don't think I want a church that preaches all the Bible. Let's just stay somewhere in between. May we not be that people. I'm preaching on Thursday night, and I know many of that's not your heart. But if it is, you know what we need to do? Repent.